Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 as we continue on in our series uh, looking at how Jesus is better than anything that's come before and anything that has been, is, or will come uh, for who he is and what he's done. Uh, and so as you turn there, I kind of want to do a little bit of a group exercise uh, with us this morning. And so I just want to ask, and this is not a rhetorical question, uh, sometimes when we ask questions from the front, that's just for dramatic pauses, Right. Uh, but in this case, I actually am looking for responses. And so I just want to ask a question that can kind of, kind of set up our time for us this morning. And so here's the question. Where do you feel most at home? Where do you feel most at peace? Where's that place where you just finally go, okay, like this is the way it should be. So I want to hear from you. Where do you feel most at home? My recliner. Your recliner. <laughs> Amen. Did you say the same thing? very much in that moment. All right, what else? Bed. Your bed. All right. Where else? Your couch. A lot of sleep involved in this. Where else? Colorado. Lake Tahoe. Your room. Where else? Bedroom nook. All right. Where else? Working out with your cat. With your cat. All right. Where else? Where? Just abiding? With family. All right. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. What do you feel like when you're there? What are the words or the attributes that you feel like when you are at that place where you kind of feel at home? What are those words? Peace. Rest. Joy. Comfy. Nice. On the couch with the cat. It's amazing. All right, what about what threatens that feeling? What, what kind of comes into that world that kind of threatens your feeling of being at home in that moment? Kids fighting, kids, 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 kids. Okay, theme here, a blessing from the Lord, yes, but also chaos creatures at the same time. We're living with pagans, people. So uh, what else? What? Your, your own mind, things that are going on in your mind, tasks, your phone, busyness, sickness, puppy accidents, fears, absolutely. Cats, said the individual sitting next to the person. All right, so let me just share with you my kind of place. Uh, for me, the thing that always comes to my mind is actually being outside in nature. Uh, I'm someone who just loves being outside in nature. I'm kind of type one, uh, which means I want everything to be orderly and being in nature kind of shows me, okay, being things that are out of order are actually something beautiful. And so in my mind, I'm like in the middle of the mountains, sitting next to a waterfall and just kind of like at peace with the world. My family's there, but they're all just getting along really well, you know, like, uh, and so that's kind of my place. Now, what's interesting is what we all described in that moment was this like shadow of Eden. 
a shadow of a place in which like we can be kind of like at peace, at rest, at home, where the things that are marking us in that moment are things like joy and peace and love and contentment. And yet simultaneously what's kept out of that place are things like worry or fears or cats, (laughs) those types of things, right? And so the Hebrews had a word for that. And it was the word shalom. It was a common greeting in the Hebrew mindset that they would come and say shalom to one another. But what they were saying was specifically, this is the way it should be. This is the way it should feel. This is the way the world should operate. It was a blessing and it was a wish and it was a prayer that the people of God would exchange to one another. But it was a word that connotated this longing in them to be at a place where things are the way that they should be, where our souls long for, where the things that threaten that are kept out. And so if you were to ask the people of the Old Testament, hey, where do you feel most at home? Where do you feel most at peace and at rest? Overwhelmingly, what they would say is the tent of meeting, the tabernacle or the temple. Like over and over throughout scripture that what you see is like when Moses wanted to see God face to face and interact with him and fellowship with him, he said, man, I long to go to the tent of meeting. But then later on, when, when the sons of Korah who wrote, wrote many of your Psalms begin to say, hey, I wanna come into God's presence and praise him. They go, I wanna go into the temple. When Jonah was fleeing from God, fleeing from the presence of God and rebelling from God. And we finally got to the end of himself. He goes, man, where I long to go back to is the temple of God, the tabernacle tabernacle of God. When David was in the wilderness in a season of struggle, what he said was, I long to go into the tabernacle, to go back to this place. The overwhelming emphasis in scripture is that when the people of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrews long to be at home, they long to be in the tabernacle or temple of God. So much so that the culmination of their heart came in Psalms 27, 4. That says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. I just want this one thing from you, God, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the people of God, when they were asked the simple question, hey, where do you feel most at home? What what does your heart long for? What they said over and over and over again was the temple of God, the tabernacle. Now, why? Because I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, this is in the middle of the desert and this is in the middle of a city. None of that kind of warms my heart. I mean, there's mountains in the background, so maybe that. And yet here's the reality over and over and over in scripture. They said, hey, this is where my heart wants to go. This is where I feel shalom, at peace, where I can just breathe out for a little bit, relax the shoulders and experience something. Because in these places, what we saw was that the temple and the tabernacle represented the full presence of God, this intimacy and connection with God, that the temple began as the tabernacle, that in the wilderness journey, when God was moving his people from Egypt into the promised land, those 40 years that the book of Numbers represent, Throughout that time, God said, hey, I want you to make a tabernacle. Literally, that means a dwelling place where I'm gonna dwell and I'm gonna be in your presence and I'm gonna navigate you through like a good shepherd through the wilderness journey into the promised land as I provide for you and I take care of you. And so one, this was meant to show God's heart for his people. 
that he wants to be in our very presence. He wants to be in our very midst, that the heart of God is he wants to be with us and be with you, which is why Jesus, when he came, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. And the last thing that Jesus says in the book of Matthew is I'm gonna be with you always to the end of all things. And so God's heart is to be with his people. And so they longed to be in this presence because they were with the presence of God. And so what they did was they put both of these in the very center of their entire community. That as you watch as they move through the wilderness or as they land in Jerusalem and build a permanent structure, they put it right in the center of everything. And what that was showing them is that the presence of God and this intimate connection and fellowship and relationship we have with God is at the very center of our lives. It's not an aspect of our life. It's not a corner of our life. It's not something we go to periodically. It is something that is a constant reminder that he is in the center of our social lives, our vocational lives, our theological lives, our religious lives, our financial lives of everything. It was meant to show us that God is in the center. And so throughout the scriptures, the people of God, whether in moments of struggle moments of rebellion, moments of excitement, moments of praise, was to come into the presence of God and experience what we just talked about, joy, peace, provision, rest. And when they were here, they were at home. But there was an issue with these that we're gonna see in our text this morning, that these were both wildly limited in their access and their intimacy. They were limited in their access, meaning that they were only these one little places that you had to go to. Jews would travel from all across the region to come into this place. And so there was limited access, but there was also limited intimacy. That as you got further and further into both of these places, only fewer and fewer people could go. So much so that the most innermost part, the most holy of holy places, only one guy could go one time a year. And so what we have in here is this shadow of this shalom that our hearts long for, to be in the presence of God, to be reminded of the provision of God, to be at home. And yet simultaneously, it was limited. It was limited in how you could access it and it was limited with the amount of intimacy you could experience. And so the people of God saw these things and were tempted to make this shadow the ultimate substance, the ultimate reality, and they missed it. And as I look at my own life and I look at my friends here, I just know so many of us can kind of fall into that trap in which there's these shadows of these moments in which we do feel at home, we do feel at rest, and we kind of trade that for the substance that is Christ. And so I know for a lot of us, like, man, we long for, and it's a good thing, we long for protection and provision. And instead of going to God and acknowledging, going, God, I'm afraid of this, and I'm nervous about this, and I need your help with this, we go to like our paycheck or our income or our house, or what schools are people get into. And we kind of look for these little moments to kind of give us this little hit of shalom, but then we miss out on the substance that belongs to Christ. Or maybe we long for joy. And instead of going to God and as Psalms one says that we would delight in him and his word, we just kind of binge watch some entertainment and just get a little mild version of what is ultimately offered in God. Or maybe it's love. 
And instead of going to God and being reminded that he loves you fully and there's nothing you can do to earn more and there's nothing you can do that would subtract less, all of a sudden we go to just attaboys and attagirls within our little achievements in life. And we just want that praise and want that affirmation because we don't feel like we have it fully from God. And so we search for it from everything else. Our hearts long for something. It longs for that sense of peace, of joy. And what the scriptures are showing us in the tabernacle and the temple is God has created a place where you can go and experience that. But these were limited. And what we're gonna see this morning is that something better has come in Christ that Jesus is the better temple. He's the better access point between God and humanity. And throughout our series, what we've been seeing over and over as we've been studying the book of Hebrews is that the author of Hebrews has been presenting to us, hey, this is what's come before and it was good for the time being, but then watch this, Jesus has come and he is far superior, he's far better. And so what we're seeing in our passage this morning is that same reality that there was a first temple that God created, but that was only a shadow of home. It was only a shadow of shalom, the way it should be. But then we're gonna see in our passage as well that there's a final temple, a final place in which God and humanity will dwell together forever. And that's where Jesus entered into. And that's what he made a way for us to go into. And that is the substance of shalom. And so the first thing we're gonna see as we look in our passage today is the first temple. And the hope is as we look through all of this, we would have in our hearts a growing longing for home, for shalom, to rest fully and finally in the ultimate and final temple of God. And so we first need to see the first temple. And it says in verse 9-1, now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For the tent was prepared in the first section in which there was a lampstand and the table of the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides by gold, in which was golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Of these things we cannot now speak of in detail. You still with me? Okay, this was home for them and they just described it. And so we need to see what they saw. And so in this, there's all these different elements that the passage is bringing to mind. And this is what it looked like on paper, but this is what it looked like in objective reality that this is what the tabernacle and the temple looked like, that you had the most holy places, the most inner part that was sectioned off by a curtain once a year. You had the holy place, which is the remaining. Then you have the altar of incense, which was symbolic of prayer, that, that as you burned incense, it would raise up to God. You had the lampstand that would bring illumination and light, and you had the bread of the presence. And then in the middle of the most holy of places, you have the Ark of the Covenant. So you feeling at home yet? Well, they would have. Why? Because all of these different things were symbols and reminders of what God had done and what he would do. You see, as people of God walked through this place, what they would have been seen is reminders of God's past faithfulness in their life. They were literally in a tent that was meant to show that, hey, when you're in this place, you're protected. But then as they walked through it, they would see the lampstand on the left and it would be a reminder that God had navigated his people through the wilderness journey, through the hardest moment in their story. 
but he was there as a fire by night and a smoke of a pillar of smoke by day. Fire and smoke would remind them that God is with them always. Then they would look over on the right and they would see this table of bread. And as they looked at the bread, they would be reminded that not only did God navigate them through the wilderness, God provided for them in the wilderness by manna that came down from heaven. And as they walked even further, they would see this, which was the altar of incense, which was meant to lift up prayers, that God listens to us. God responds to us that he's a relational God. And so as they were sitting in this holy place, they were just reminded all around them that my God is near, he's present, he's a provider, he gives me peace and joys, he listens to my prayer, I can have a relationship with him. And in that moment, they were reminded of what it felt like to be at home. And even more than that, All of these past reminders were there, but if you read the book of Exodus, we're given exceedingly detailed descriptions of what all these things actually looked like. And even if you look closely at some of these, it's hard to tell, but all of these had imagery of Eden. They had things like tree branches carved into it, fruit, it was carved into it. Even the Ark of the Covenant back here has cherubim overlooking it. All of the things were meant to be a symbol of Eden. These were echoes of Eden, of what we were made for, what we long for, and ultimately where we're going. For many of us, when we think about what it feels like when it, we're like fully at home, isn't it like, like for me, it's, it's mountains, it's being outside, it's being in this beautiful place where there is provision, there is protection, there is a sense of shalom where my soul can be at peace. And that's because you were made for Eden. You were made for paradise, you were made for perfection. And in this spot, the people of God could fully worship their God. And that's what verse six says. These preparations having thus been made, the priests would go in regularly to the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he would but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the uh, uh, unintentional sins of the people. And so throughout the time, the first priest would kind of go into this first section right here, the holy place, and daily they would offer these different rituals, and it was a way by which they would worship God. But then one time a year, a foreshadowing of something to come, only one priest, the high priest, would go into the most holy places. This curtain was closed throughout the year, but then one day it opened. And the high priest could enter into the most holy place to be with God. And what he would do is he would take an innocent lamb and he would kill it. He would take the blood into the most holy of places and he would sprinkle the blood on this, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, we saw in the passage, the 10 commandments were in there. And what this was meant to symbolize is that as the blood covers over the mercy seat, the blood covers the the, 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 um, Ark of the Covenant, then as God looks down, he doesn't see how the people of God haven't fulfilled the law. He sees the substitute, the covering for the sins of the people. All of these were shadows of something to come. And so this was their 
mountaintop. This was their couch. This was their recliner. This was the place that they went to in which they could feel at home in the love and the care and the provision of God because they were reminded of his faithfulness. They were reminded of his provision. They were reminded of who he is and what he's done. And then they was, all of that was just shadows, echoes of things that were, but also shadows of things that were to come. And in that moment, they felt at home. This is what they longed for. And yet all of this was just a shadow. And what's been fun for me is I've been thinking this past week of like, okay, God, what's the shadows you've given me? of shalom, of those moments where it just really does feel like, like everything's kind of right with the world. And I just thinking through the course of my life and I thought about things of like, hey, maybe it's playing with your kids when they're, they're laughing and you just don't have a care in the world. Maybe it's sitting around a campfire with friends and you're just enjoying one another. Maybe it's when you're at work and you just feel like the wind's at your back or you're in relationships in which everything just kind of feels like they're clicking. All of this is just a shadow. The other week, um, my kids were out of town for a couple of days with my wife. And then as they were coming back, I was like, man, they, they've had some fun with, with grandmother and granddad. And so I want them to come home and I want them to be excited to come home. And so what I did was after cleaning the whole house, I uh, got all of these um, uh, playpen balls and kind of covered a room with them. So that when my little boys would come home, they walked in and I saw it on their face. It was shalom, it was delight. They were so excited to be at home. And then they just kind of swam in it and kicked them everywhere. And it took me like three hours to clean it up, but it was worth it. Because I could create a little hint of heaven for them. A little shadow of shalom. And as I saw my kid experiencing that, it brought me joy to provide that. And so this past week, I've just been more and more aware of those types of moments, that these little gifts that God gives us, that where we just get a hint of heaven, a shadow of shalom. And I just wanna invite you to begin to consider that. As you go throughout your day and sometimes, sometimes it just feels like mundane or it just feels like you're just, just going from sun up to sun down and then you crash. Look for those little moments where God is gifting you just these hints of heaven these shadows of the way it should be. Because what it did in my heart this past week was it just kind of let me praise him, but also be present in the moment. And that's where God wants us to be. Now, however wonderful these things were, they were only meant to be shadows of shalom, hence of heaven. Because as we see in our passage, they were wildly limited at the same time. And that limitation is purposeful. It's meant to create in us a longing for something more. You see, the first limitation was it had limited access to God's presence. It says in verse eight, it says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates by the whole way it's being set up, by the whole um, um, diagram that we just looked at, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open. Why? There's a curtain that's closed throughout the entire year. As long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. And so the most intimate place where God fully dwelt, the most holy of holies was blocked by this curtain. And only one person could go in once a year and everyone else had to stand outside watching this individual go in on their behalf. And they were never allowed to actually enter into that moment. And so this place where their soul really longed for, they were kept out. 
It was meant to create this longing for something more, not an earthly tent, not an earthly tabernacle, not an earthly temple, but a heavenly one. It would be like when your buddy comes back from a vacation and it's a place you've always wanted to go to, but you're not sure if you're ever gonna be able to make it there. And they're showing you all the pictures and you're just like, this is amazing. I'm so happy for you. But like inside you, you go, man, I wanna I want go there. I wanna be there. And there's a tension between being joyful for them, but also longing in yourself for that. And that's what they saw because there is limited access to God's presence. And yet that's what the soul longs to be at, to be with. But there is also the inability to make anyone perfect. Verse nine says, according to this arrangement, how everything was set up, the gifts and the sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deals only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation, that something new would happen. And so there was limited access to God, but we were even unable to approach God fully because of their own sins. And so they were even told that if they entered in improperly, they would die. Which for a season in the life of the Hebrews, there became a part of the ritual to put a rope on the high priest so that as he walked in, if he did something wrong and he keeled over, he had a rope and he had a bell. So if he fell down, they could hear it and pull his body out. And so that might sound insane, but it's showing us something about the God who is, that he dictates how we approach him. And because of our sin and because of our brokenness, nobody can just walks in into the presence of God. Something has to be done. Something has to be done. And so simultaneously, the people of God looked at the most holy of holies and something welled up in their soul going, man, I wanna be there. And yet simultaneously, there was a fear because they looked inside themselves and go, yes, there's a longing to be at home, but I know there's something broken in me that's prohibiting me from entering in. This was the shadow. This was the world that they lived in before Christ, created for a place they had never been to while being kept out, unable to enter. And that's all of us before we met Jesus. But the good news is that something better has come with Christ, a better access, a better intimacy, a better temple, because he entered into not just the first temple, but the final temple. The passage continues by saying this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He's talking not about the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, but rather something so much more, something that is in heaven. It says here, all these different words about good things, greater, more perfect. It's trying to lift our eyes to see, hey, the thing that has come before, these little shadows of heaven are not heaven. This little shadow of Eden, this echo of Eden is not our full and final dwelling place that we will ultimately be with God. But there's something that's better that has come with Jesus Christ. Good things, greater, more perfect. And it says that it's heaven itself, a better tent, 
a final tabernacle, a final temple, a place in which we can fully go and meet with the God of the universe as we long for our ultimate dwelling place to be with him forever. And so if you were with us last week, what we saw in Hebrews chapter eight was that this earthly place was that shadow of something greater, something eternal, something heavenly. He says, they serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses, who was the one that was given the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And so what this is telling us here is simply that what we saw on earth, these tabernacles, these temples, were only meant to be shadows of something greater to come. And so that is telling us that as we look at heaven, heaven is the place where we are ultimately at home, where we ultimately feel shalom the way it should be. And as we walk through heaven, we will have these constant reminders that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one that we pray to God towards. And Jesus is the one whose blood was spilt out upon the law of God so that we could have access to the most holy of holy places of God, that heaven itself is a place where we get to be reminded of who God is, his faithfulness, his provision, his care, as we don't have this echo of Eden, but we're in the new Eden, the new paradise, dwelling fully with the God of the universe, that heaven is home, heaven is shalom. And that's where Jesus entered on our behalf. When nobody else could enter, he did. You see, the high priest would go into the temple and offer sacrifices one time, one day, a year. And Jesus would enter into the most holy place, not earthly, but heavenly. It says he entered once and for all, once and for all, not just one time every single year in this old system, but once and for all, into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. That Jesus entered into the place that we could not, but that our soul longs for. And he did it in a way that was unprecedented. Not over and over, but one time, one sacrifice, and it was his own. And when he did that, he accomplished three things for us that we desperately need, both to ultimately be at home, but then also to live at home now, to be at shalom, at peace with God in our lives. The first thing he did was his sacrifice secured our salvation. Verse 12 says that it was by means of his own blood thus securing eternal redemption. When Jesus walked on the scene in the gospel of John, John declares to everyone around, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the sacrificial lamb that will enter in the most holy of places that we have a way in. And in this, we see the very love of God, that love by its very nature is a sacrifice 
for the beloved's greatest good. And what we see in 1 John is that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the mercy seat, the place where the blood would pour down that we might have access to God for our sins. This is love. This is love. And because of Christ, he declared God's love for us, but also granted access and secured our salvation. But Jesus just isn't just saving us for some future heaven, however wonderful that is, and however sufficient that would have been. He's actually granting us access to experience hints of heaven right here, right now. Because he's purifying our conscience. His sacrifice cleanses our conscience. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. That's what the old system was about, was sanctification. It was an aspect of worship, being set apart, being made more holy. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience? That the conscience is the part of yourself that tells you what's good and what's bad. And it affirms the things that you think are good when you do them. And it brings shame and guilt on the things that you think are bad when you do those. And yet when we think about our own lives, our conscience is seared. It's broken. We call good, bad, and bad, good. Just read a newspaper. Look at our culture, celebrating that which is evil and calling evil that which is good. There's something broken in humanity. And what Jesus has done is he has come and he has redeemed us, yes, for eternity, but he's also changing our perspective now that we can see God, ourselves, and the world around us the way we were meant to see them. He's purifying our conscience. So many of us, we walk around with this voice inside of our head that says what? You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not clean enough. You're not pure enough. C.S. Lewis wonderfully said that one of the favorite words of the devil is the word enough. You start believing that nonsense. All of a sudden you start to think, okay, I'm not doing enough. I have to do more in order to win God's approval over my life. And what Jesus has declared is your salvation is secure, but now he's purifying your mind so that you can actually see reality for what it is. That I read an article a while back about addicts, whether it's porn addict or alcohol or approval, You know what it said? It said the reason why most people become addicted to something that is ultimately harmful for them is not because of a love for the thing itself, but it's to quiet the noise in their head that tells them you are not enough. And so numb yourself with this until you feel okay. And Jesus has done something so much more than numb something. He's purifying it. He's helping us see who he is and what he's done. And so we can know fully that when that voice comes into our head, hey, you're not enough, that voice is not from Jesus. He is not our adversary. He's not our accuser. He's our advocate. He doesn't condemn his followers. He convicts so that they could find more joy, more life, more love in him 
as they flee the things of this world. We, ha we have access to future shalom, but we can taste it all the more right now. And finally, his sacrifice frees us to serve God. It says at the end of the passage that it purifies our conscience from these dead works, these old systems, these old ways, these old thoughts to do something, to serve the living God, not a dead God, not Jesus on the cross, Jesus in his resurrection, that he is alive and he gives that to you for you to be alive and then to you to follow him as he loves and leads and serves others and brings a blessing to others. You see, what's interesting is when Jesus rose from the grave, he walked up to his disciples and he had the oddest greeting. It said he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And to the Hebrew, that would have been so weird because the Holy Spirit lived in the temple, lived in the tabernacle. And he's saying, it now lives in you. And Jesus goes, exactly. Because you are God's temple. First Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That you are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are the mobile dwelling place of God. That the God of the universe dwells in you. As St. Teresa said, believe the incredible truth that the beloved has chosen for his dwelling place, the core of your own being, because that is the single most beautiful place in all of creation. Do you believe that? Jesus has so thoroughly washed you clean that you are now the most beautiful place in all of his creation and he delights to dwell in you. And so you can be a mobile Eden, a mobile temple, a mobile taste of heaven as you spread joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control with your friends, with your family, with that person at work, with your roommate. And so God might be asking you to do something crazy. Man, go start a ministry. Go start a church. Go write a book. Go serve at the clinic. Go and serve with babies until they graduate high school. And when that happens in us, we often have this little spark, this little excitement of like, oh my gosh, what would that be like? And then we start to think, well, man, who am I? Who am I to do that? And God would look at you and go, who are you? <laughs> You're my child. And I live in you and I dwell with you in you. And that's what I did with Jesus. That Jesus would say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father love him and he will come to him and make our home in him. That's what Jesus did. So how did he do it? Well, John 1 tells us that the word became flesh 
and it says he dwelt among us. That word dwelt is literally the word tabernacle. He dwelt among us. So in Christ, we could see the fullness of who God is and we could see the full picture of his faithfulness, his provision, his promise. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, it's done, it's finished. He was the sacrificial lamb brought into the most holy of holy places. And one of my favorite verses in scripture in Mark 15 says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Why is that significant? Because it was the thing that was keeping us away from the most intimate connection with God. And I love the detail of this, that it was from top to bottom, that this was not man trying to reach up to get to God, this was God reaching down to humanity and ripping it in two, going that what you needed to access me has been accomplished. Jesus left his home so that he would come and dwell among us to invite us back into home, shalom, the place that our hearts long to be and now can enter because of him. And as we wait, our hearts long for something more. For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. God has called you to come to a place that you have never been to, but your hearts long for. And as we wait, we long. And as we wait, we spread. Home, shalom, Eden to the world. We give people hints of heaven. One of my favorite scenes in all of Narnia is the very last chapter of the very last book in which they come into new Narnia. And as they come into new Narnia, they see everything and they begin to declare, this is home. This is the place I've always longed to be and I know it now. So let's keep going further up, further in that we can enjoy and experience the great Aslan forever. And what Christ has done is has left home to call us in so that we can enjoy him forever. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.